Oh wait. Uh, you know, no, leave time. it. Leave Nobody it. reminded me. Running guy. Nobody reminded me. <laughs> nope. Oh no. The AC. The AC just went <laughs> off. Uh, we're in Kuala Lumpur, and if you don't know, it's pretty hot here. Welcome to Every Game in This City, a podcast about 10 game makers, curators, and researchers who met up in Malaysia for a week to try to play every escape room in Kuala Lumpur. I'm Douglas Wilson. I'm Goldie Bartlett. I'm Stephanie Bullock. I'm Alexandra Lee. I'm Lee Shanglun. I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm Amani Nassim. And in this episode, we'll introduce team members Laura E. Hall and Jay Bidolf and talk with them about what it's like operating your own escape room. We also discuss vestigial puzzles, broken props, and the mysterious case of a closed-down escape room. Uh, so, uh, we've had uh, two people join us for the trip, which is exciting. So, uh, can we say hello to uh, Laura and Jay, uh, all the way here from Portland, Oregon. Tell us about yourselves. Sure. Um, I'm Laura E. Hall, and as Doug said, um, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I'm part of a company called the Meridian Adventure Company, uh, which in its original incarnation um, was known as 60 Minutes to Escape. It's the first escape room in Portland and one of the first in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, And I'm a game and puzzle designer, um, artist, writer, my book about Katamari Damacy is definitely coming out later this year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and I am Jay Biddulph, and I work with Laura in Portland, Oregon, as an escape room designer. And also, I've done game design on other things back to the ARG days. Uh, great. We're all super glad that you're here. Uh, we don't quite have the full complement of the mm-hmm. team um, tomorrow. We'll get to finally introduce uh, our final member. Final and then we'll have some members. guests, maybe. And then we'll maybe have some guests later. Always something new. <laughs> um, so to start, we thought, um, yesterday we talked a little bit about some frustrations with uh, some of the escape rooms we played yesterday, but then also there's like um, imagined futures of like immediately being excited about uh, easy, low-hanging fruit uh, ways to uh, that escape rooms could appeal to us more, experimental escape rooms. Um, however, we actually have two pairs of people here, as you just heard, um, Shanglun and uh, Alex with Play Reactive in Melbourne, and Laura and Jay with Meridian um, Venture Company in Portland, Oregon, uh, who are already doing some of that work, kind of designing interesting new escape rooms. <coughs> so to kind of contextualize some of the expertise we have in the room, we thought we'd start today uh, kind of asking both of these pairs a little bit about the rooms that they're making in, in these other cities. Um, so who, which, which one of you, should we start with our new guests? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, please. So tell us a little bit more about like how, just even some of the basics, how many rooms are you running? How long have you been doing this? Sure. Um, we're actually right in the middle of our construction period. Um, our whole building had recently been purchased and has been completely gutted. So we're rebuilding from the ground up, which is a really exciting opportunity um, to put in all of the secret doors and special hollow walls and things that we want, which would normally be really difficult in a um, construction setting where you're coming into a building where everything's up already. 
Um, yeah, we're going to be running two rooms initially, hopefully by the end of this year, um, as well as some other events that go out into the city, scavenger hunt type stuff. Um, a treasure hunt or two is, is sort of on the agenda. I can't promise that it's actually going to happen. <laughs> we have to get through the construction and then see how we are feeling and how much time we need to recover from that. Who's building it? Are you building it yourself? No, this time <laughs> we learned our lesson from the first time. Yeah. Um, we have contractors who are putting all of the complicated stuff. Uh, we are doing all of the set decor. So once the walls are up, the framing and the sheetrock, they leave. Mm -hmm. um, but they put in all of the outlets and wiring and every specialty part where we want. Then we come in and put all of the actual story layer stuff in what a rare amazing like, amazing, amazing opportunity yeah. i can't wait yeah, can i ask escape room in portland <laughs> did you have two at the previous so we had one and um we actually were pushing for a really long time to try and change the building occupancy which is actually how we found out that the building had been sold because we paid an architect to draw up all of the designs and file it with the city and then progress was just not happening. And if it had worked out, we would have been able to open, uh, you know, three or four in the time that it has taken um, to get to that point. So, yeah, and it shut down last April 1st last year. Um, another basic question. Is it mostly just the two of you doing all the work? What does this look like for people who have never done an escape room right. in terms of how many people are involved breaking? Mm -hmm. The, the original one and now the new one. Sure. Well, with the original one, um, there were six of us. It was two of our friends who were over from the UK and then two other Portland friends who we knew from um, the puzzling community there. And um, there's a great global event called Puzzled Pint. Um, it's, it's a monthly, second Tuesday of every month. You solve a puzzle and go to a location and do paper, like tabletop puzzle type stuff. Um, so it was two of our friends. It started in Portland, we, who we knew from that. Um, we had actually all gone to Seattle to play the first escape room that opened there. So it was sort of the first regional one. Uh, and on the drive back, we were like, well, we're all theater people and video game designers and narrative people. And like the one at the time in, in Seattle was just stuff in a room, sort of Ikea furniture and pieces of paper. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, we can do that. Like how hard, <laughs> how hard can it be? We can do better. Than yeah. Fa people. Well, <laughs> famous last words. So yeah, we, we built everything ourselves and it was very scrappy and DIY. And you know, the building at the time, there was a guy living there with his pet parrot and stuff. So, like this is a warehouse, <laughs> an industrial warehouse. So there was like, it was a different sort of scene than mm -hmm. it is now where it's like, there's an actual landlord who's not uh, taking all of our money and mm -hmm. not passing it to the building owner. That was another surprise <laughs> from the previous incarnation of this. Um, yeah, so it's a, a lot more formal this time. Um, the company is me. Um, I have a producer that I work with, Nora Ryan, um, and we have an assistant, Jeffy Denight, and Jay is one of our lead designers. Can you tell us more about what the actual escape room was? The original? The original. Mm -hmm. um, it was called Spark of Resistance, and it was sort of an 80s dystopian um, other side of the Berlin Wall alternate reality thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, spy themes sort of lend themselves naturally to escape rooms. So, you know, the, the audience were agents who had been activated to find out why this person who was deep undercover in a propaganda office had disappeared. Um, so they go into the office and they're investigating... Um, they eventually learn that the person is hiding in the building. The character becomes aware of them and then abandons them sort of to their own fate. So. 
So no M and M's. No M and M's. Don't spoil. Yeah. Uh, uh, later. Yeah. The real key difference is that our room had a narrative that tied directly to the actual action of what you were doing. Yeah. So you were like, room was good. <laughs> um, you were taking steps that uh, would, you yeah. know, advance through the puzzles naturally, so that it feels like you're actually like progressing a storyline. Yeah, every puzzle, because of the propaganda office stuff, um, sort of is leading you into a greater like essentially security clearance so you're gaining more knowledge of the world the character is becoming aware of you in different sorts of interactions like you send something to them which notifies them that you're actually in the building mm -hmm. for the first time and so it it flows naturally in a way that i have actually never experienced in another escape room mm -hmm. so that's sort of like i'm fighting with escape rooms this the narrative is ooh, i'm moving further into this space mm -hmm. full stop mm -hmm. um, yes and yeah. i think that it sounds better to yeah figure out other ways to progress. That sounds good. You also, like, do people rush through your room? They can't. <laughs> um, just, like, there's no way to do it, the original one, faster than, I'd say, 40 minutes? Pretty much, yeah. That's we, really interesting. We also, we're always, it's designed specifically to get them to at least a particular point in the story, so that even if they fail, they understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. It's new speed running. No. <laughs> um, I actually have a question about time because uh, it, it was called 60 Minutes to Escape. Yes. And all of the, I think every single escape room that we've, that we've been playing over the past two days has been 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just have a question about time, like 45 minutes versus 60 minutes. And, you know, why did you make that decision? And what does that, like, actual 15-minute difference sort of do in terms of affecting the experience of play? Well, actually, our new one that we're designing is going to be 80 minutes. So. Yeah, I think well, this a lot of it comes down to regional differences. Yeah, that, like, definitely. Uh, the U.S. definitely settled on 60 minutes as the standard timing. So that is, like, naturally what we, we fell into. Mm. In terms of the differences, you cannot tell a lot of a story in 45 minutes, especially when everyone is entirely distracted, right? Mm. They're doing the puzzles. They can barely pay attention to what's going on. And so there's not even that much time to get something across to them. Whereas that extra 15 minutes could be used for like the narrative purposes at least. Yeah, it really, it makes a significant difference. Is that how you break it down? Like, oh, 45 minutes, it'll still have the same puzzle flow as like a standard escape room. And the 15 minutes is for narrative development? It's not that exact. Yeah. Uh, we know how people will take a narrative, which is not very well because they're <laughs> so distracted. So we know that like, if you start playing like, a minute's worth of audio, no one is going to hear it, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to like make the story I mean, very we, condensed. Yeah, right? we experienced that, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, like in the room that we yeah. play. Oh, I was furiously <laughs> taking notes uh, to the detriment of Laura J and Alex's experience yesterday. So, <laughs> wait. So, did you have any live actors involved? Well, sort of. We were very adamant about not having a person in the room with anybody at any time. Um, so we do send hints through a screen um, interface, which also is sort of within the world mm -hmm. of it. All of the hints are written within the world. Um, but in order to actually enter the room, they had to talk their way past a secretary who was stationed outside of the door. Oh, nice. Um, and we give them um, food tickets as a bribe. If they want to use the bribe, it's a social engineering sort of game. Um, and the, the sort of we figured it would maybe add to the group unity, like, if they're immediately facing a challenge altogether, you know, somebody is going to step forward, someone's going to hang back, and so they sort of are already in that group dynamic 
by the time they're actually crossing the threshold into the real space. Yeah. Mm. It's also very unexpected. Yeah. It's better to just walk into the room and get started. And yeah. it's like, oh no, you have to convince your way into this room before yeah. you can then try and escape it. Even before you mentioned <laughs> that you've literally got actors in there, it already felt a lot like you'd had a large influence from theatre, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which is wonderful and I think something that's... Um, Sort of, yeah, it gets filled up a little <laughs> bit in game design. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I would say, at least in America, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but most people are coming into escape room design from very clear backgrounds, either haunted houses or puzzle, like the formal puzzle game community. So like MIT Mystery Hunt or mm. Microsoft Puzzle Hunt stuff. Mm. Um, so like there's clusters of escape rooms around communities like that. Then there's like a second generation of people who played escape rooms and were like, well, I could do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's always my favorite mm-hmm. generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the live um, actor, actress, was that the same person kind of running the room as well? Or like how many people did you have on hand kind of running? The room? It was the, the, the same person. Like we, we hired people based on whether they had a little bit of acting experience as well, okay. just because they needed to like improv based on whatever the group decided to choose yeah. as their method of entry. But so there would be a different person introing them, giving them the safety rules, and then the story should be right. able to be like, here's your role, here's the first thing you do Got when it. you get in, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we always have two people at least on site for safety reasons. So they would just sort of, the, while the secretary stuff was happening, the intro person would run in and like prep the room so that it was like, as, you know, as soon as they walk in, the lights come on, the music starts playing. So, like, you're being ushered into this space um, but you could, by the environment. But you could get away with two minimum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, Where well, was it? Was it in the center of the city? Uh, it's in a place. It's in the southeast industrial, so it's right on the river. And it's very central, but it's not in downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also add that this was a complete, it was, like, manually controlled um, we had a lot of puzzles that were like circuits and things, but our future ones will be completely automatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe use that as a moment to now uh, talk to our other two yeah. escape room makers because uh, I I actually did the one in Portland. I don't know if you remember this, uh, like the yeah, week before oh, I re- launched or something. <laughs> I remember <laughs> very clearly. Uh, <laughs> I remember the pulling of the ribbon out of the typewriter, and somebody had ink all over their hands. And I was like, "Is this a puzzle?" <laughs> <laughs> There were shark images. It was not a puzzle. And I've also done um, the play reactive one, and I mentioned that because I think there's some major interesting similarities here to explore. So, um, Shang and Alex, um, so tell us a little bit. You're kind of also in transition, like Laura and Jay, right? So, tell us a little bit about your room. Yeah, so we're at the moment building um, some new escape rooms in our new location in Richmond, Australia. Um, And we're also opening a theater. So we've got Play Reactive Adventures, which is the kind of escape room stuff, and also maybe street games, but then also the Play Reactive Theatre, which is for immersive or interactive or experimental live art awesome. um, of any kind. Uh, and then we'll have a little bar in the back, intermission bar. And um, yeah, we've already run a game show inside there as part of Free Play, um, which is Australia's independent games festival, which was a surreal prison of game theory, where people had to, you, know, you, were, you were prisoners and you had to backstab your fellow inmates to win your freedom. I was a really <laughs> grumpy guard. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so grumpy. Got to, I was so tired. Um, but really before, grumpy. before this Richmond space, you you had been running an escape room sorts 
right, uh, elsewhere in, in Melbourne. Yeah, so we um, had a space on Chapel Street, which was incredibly fortuitous. It was an old, inconvenient store that had run out of money, and nobody wanted to take the lease because the entire block of shops were going to be demolished or sold off, and so they were saying really cheap short-term leases. So we negotiated a pittance price for it and also then said, we're going to just do a bunch of illegal stuff, and they kind of <laughs> didn't care. Um, so we had an, uh, an art gallery in there, uh, and then we turned it into an escape room. And that was, what, uh, three, two years ago now? Mm. Yeah. Two years ago. It was, um, I wasn't part of making that one. So it was held together with... Um, Duct tape and spit. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> um, I feel like the one which we're doing now, it's actually kind of like a remastered version Right. Of the one which Director's we had cut. in Chapel Street. Call, called Earthrise One. Yeah. The, yeah. The the yes, yes. So it's a sci-fi themed one where I think that it wasn't really a very linear no, storyline compared to most escape rooms. Um, it was more, the fun of it was exploring the world because I wasn't part of I didn't know anything about it, and I right, you got it. to play it. Yeah, right? I got to play it, and I was terrified. Like, I guess I get scared really easily. To be honest, this isn't a scary story at all. Yeah, <laughs> but I was just sitting there, being like, "Oh my god, what is this?" Like, it's pretty dark in there yeah, with smoke. Yeah, and um, it was a lot of uh, stimulation overload. And I think that one of the great things about it was that you didn't just focus on, "Oh, let's solve this puzzle. What is this that we have to find?" It was about enjoying the world and actually figuring out the story and it kind of feels like a bit of a voyeuristic look into the lives of the scientists who live in the spaceship. Yeah. So yeah, it was really nice to no, I just enjoyed the story when I was there because I was with a group of people who were just like desperately doing the things. So and and I I was just like you got to hang back. Hang back and listen. Well, can we can, can we, we get, get a, a bit of a description? Yeah, I was. Can we get us? Can you, Shanghan, uh, <coughs> give us a pitch about what it was? A, a little bit in terms of the story, but I just mean in terms of the design experience and like the architecture. And, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so keeping in mind that we built this because we wanted to address very specific problems with the escape rooms we had seen, namely that they had terrible onboarding and leaving experiences that um, they were focused on puzzles to the exclusion of all other things. Their worlds didn't make sense. There was no logic to them, really. <laughs> Everyone's nodding. Yeah. Hard. yeah um, and that they were super linear. It's just puzzle, 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 puzzle. Um, this experience was you walked into uh, a, a small section in front where... Before on the, that. It starts before that. What are, where's on the website? It starts in the briefing. Starts in That's the, what we're about to go to. Yeah. It starts on the website, even. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Web, the website itself is written in the language of you are... A, um, a team of maintenance crew, and we need you uh, to apply for this job. <laughs> so um, come and. You have to pay. Yeah. <laughs> you have to pay to do a job. <laughs> this a multinational space corporation, which has sent several hundreds of thousands, probably, spacecraft in, uh, into orbit, needs you to go up to Earthrise 1, which is a space station, Starling class spacecraft and uh, retrieve the scientists that were on board, but they're not responding and the ship seems to be malfunctioning. So you need to go up there and uh, fix the ship, make contact with the scientists, and if possible, retrieve their research, because that's actually the most important thing compared to the scientists themselves. <laughs> this is a very um, corporate corporation. And so you walked into the briefing room, and there one of the operators would greet you 
in character and give you a waiver form. And on the back of that waiver form is a psychological assessment and analysis tool um, where you have to talk about your greatest fears and uh, assess yourself on things like spatial reasoning and how easily you could flex into small spaces, things like that. Um, then you were told that uh, you, here's your shuttle up into the spacecraft. So a tiny room kind of cramped up. And when you were ostensibly in space, you would be let onto the space station itself. There was a main computer terminal called Atlas, which is the automated terrestrial life assistance system or something. And you, it was in standby mode or emergency mode and everything was super dark. You had to crawl through the maintenance hatch to the back room where it was pitch black. Again, OHNS, not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, turn on the main power switch. And then from there, you kind of had access to these two rooms that were really hard to traverse because the door was still locked. And um, you had a world to explore with lots of different threads that you could pull at. And we wanted to make it so that different people's desires could all be met. So if you wanted to not solve any puzzles, you could totally just be in that space and read through environmental storytelling or, or through the, um, the journals or emails of the scientists. Even just playing with the Atlas system and seeing how like the lights work, there's a fabricator which, which can fabricate stuff as yeah, well. I was going to ask about that next. Yeah, like all of it is really fun. Like I'm not much of a puzzle solver. I'm really terrible <laughs> at solving puzzles. But I had a lot of fun just looking around and figuring out how the ship actually worked. It's a toy box, right? We're creating yeah. systems, not puzzles. And then you feel a sense of mastery when you're like, oh, I get how the system works, even if you didn't solve anything. So an example is like you could um, solve a puzzle in quotation marks to open the door between the two rooms. And that doesn't do anything except let you move between the two rooms more easily rather than through the tunnel. Um, but it still feels like a success. And like you yeah. now know how to open doors using the control, the computer. Yeah. So can I ask, um, like the Meridian uh, Adventure Company game said so you actually needed it was not a fully automated room you actually needed some people when one the performer onboarding but talk about um uh the running of the room like what kind of staff was needed to do that <laughs> so our staff area maybe you can mention this oh so i i actually ended up working as an operator for that room for a while and it's a very embarrassing story that happened. Basically, it involves the fact that there's no toilet <laughs> in the room, and sometimes there's back-to-back sessions for like eight hours. Um, but there are cups. So, there's this sink, which is really high, which is like, you cannot expect someone to sit on the sink. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Good. I'm glad that we're here, finally. That's where we've been heading. Uh, we, we take a step... Bad. Uh, and can you kind of give us a more uh, like an overview of the staffing? I'm kind of hinting at this fabric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The The space is basically it's very very narrow and it's long. So you basically just run up and down the length of the room. And the difficult thing is that there's only one of me, but I have to run along the length of a room to see the computer screen. To, for example, the fabricator they can select from their screen what they want to fabricate. So let's say it's pH strips to help them solve a puzzle, or they can fabricate an apple, or... Just to eat because they're hungry? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just part of a puzzle. (laughs) So so sorry, can you, like, because I think this is maybe not clear to the listener. So what is this fabricator? So there's, like, a box in the wall. Yeah, there's a box where if they select something from the Atlas screen, like, let's say they choose to fabricate an apple... 
they have to wait. It'll say like fabricating now, and then and then they open the box, and then whatever they chose but, shows up. So say more about the selecting. They couldn't just type in anything. There were no. They select items. through a drop. Yeah, screen, and it's through like it, a menu. Of items. Yeah, it's the history of all the items that have been fabricated. So mm-hmm. what the scientists ate, what the scientists used. But you don't everyday life. You. Does it? Does the UI actually show you the list of nouns, or or was it? It shows you um, the. Yeah, so it shows you a list of nouns. Okay. It shows you a list of nouns as well as the date it was last fabricated. Okay. Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> there's that. There's also a leaf blower. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a puzzle that was it was incredibly loud on our side and like tolerable on the other side. So and all we the couldn't, other, we couldn't the hear anything. Like sometimes people would leave it on. Why would you leave that on? (laughs) Um, Similarly, like with the fabricator, one of the big problems (laughs) I had was one time um, there was a big group of people, and I have to wait until they're not staring at the fabricator for me to put something in. And (laughs) (laughs) because you can just make it like it's dark, but you can kind of make out a hand. (laughs) And um, it's supposed to be locked so that they can't open it while you're actually fabricating something. Mm -hmm. But for one time, there was like a bit of a hitchhop with that, and they opened it while my hand was in it, and I could see them. I was shocked, and I was like, "Ah!" (laughs) Um, and they were like, "Ah!" Afterwards, I was like, oh, yeah, um, so the fabricator, it's very, very high technology. Um, <laughs> we actually have something which resembles a human hand putting the object inside. That's how it works. It's like the mammoth under the sink in the fun <laughs> Like That's how the technology works uh, in I, space. When I played Earthrise 1, and so you, you crawl through this maintenance space, and then basically, you know, hopefully before long you figure out where the light switch is, you figure out how to open the door, you figure out there is a fabu- fabricator, there are diaries full of entries and numbers and dates. There's calendars with dates and numbers. There's numbers everywhere. There's <coughs> everywhere. I find mm. in the escape rooms that we've been doing for the last few days, there's six numbers. They must be for something. Mm. Whereas in, in your escape room, uh, letters and numbers were everywhere because this was a lived-in space. Yes. Um, I personally was so frustrated by that because I wanted, I, I just wanted to, you know, like get the get get it out of there, find that last door, <laughs> you know, beat it. Mm. And I was sort of given this um, rich world, which was, you know, mm. after the event, really lovely to reflect back on. But at the time, uh, I, I was, I, I personally was overwhelmed. Yeah, that's a big one that we're um, changing a lot for the the next one. Um, because I'm sure as you've experienced that people don't read text mm-hmm. and people don't listen to audio mm-hmm. <laughs> past a certain amount. Um, but some people do. And that's interesting, like trying to figure out how to cater for those people and to make it clear that this is not a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're yeah. Yeah, I really around. wanted to explore a lot, but, um, but everybody else was rushing. Yeah. So it seems to me like uh, there are a ton of similarities between these two companies yeah. and that has to do with um, onboarding the experience so it's not arbitrary. So there's some motivation for people to move through the space. There's a lot of attention paid to worlding. So there's some kind of narrative coherence or system to the way the story functions in the room. And it also sounds like there's more labor in terms of having live actors or even like resetting the room or buying more apples or something. Like if you have, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, this is why there's no chocolate milk in the vault. <laughs> right? Because they have to go out and buy more chocolate milk. So like, if you had chocolate milk, it would be great. So yeah. they should. <laughs> can we can we say one thing in addition to the labor? So there's actually another role though, right? In, in addition to the fabricator, there's an actual 
human at the end. Human at yeah, the end. Who, I, okay, that's fine. That's fine. So, uh, so yeah, <laughs> you. One of the scientists is still alive, and you can wise before I started working there. And then, like, they, they, <laughs> when Alexander started working, she decided the scientist dies halfway through the game. <laughs> so you yeah, so we have to st- we have to scream in like another voice, so they don't know what that's going. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to do. Can you do your scream that you had to do? It's very traumatic. Um, <laughs> you hear that at the start. And uh, at the, near the start of this experience, you could go into that back room and actually like hold the hand of the person as they died um, and talk with them and um, try to save them, but you can't. In this new one, spoiler oh, alert, you get to kill the scientist. Oh, no. Yeah. You <laughs> get that's to. That's an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a moral decision. You can if you want to. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> interesting moral decision. <laughs> as as um, game designers who deeply, deeply care about the um, experience of an escape room, I'm asking this to, to, to both groups here, how has it felt playing these games that for. <laughs> or like playing you know the the kind of classic corporate escape rooms like how do you feel when you're you're going through them we're puzzle people fundamentally so like you know you can get into the flow of that and that's kind of the fun of any escape room is that even if it's terrible like you're still in there with your friends having fun and making your own fun even if it's like a bad experience and everything's broken you're like laughing about it together um so it's still fun but it's not i mean it's not narrative, so we just sort of don't try for that. I mean, honestly, we go into every escape room now, like, tearing it down in our minds, well, like, looking yeah. at every piece of it and just thinking, like, oh, this should be done this way, this should <laughs> be doing this, and, like, it's very hard to, like, just see it as it is because we've got, like, so much background knowledge on all the parts of it that we're bringing to it. But, but can I ask to follow up, because the, the two of you weren't on the episode yesterday, what, do you have a sense of what you're trying to get out of this trip and, and these rooms in, in KL, like, is it is it looking for specific points of inspiration? Is it that like just being forced to do an analysis on tropes? Like, yeah, maybe say a little bit more. I mean, we don't play a lot now um, because, like, sometimes it's just not challenging, or you know, it, it, it's not necessarily worth it. Like, to, we'll get into this, I'm sure, later. But the ones that we played yesterday, you know, we didn't. Uh, we had a great time, but we weren't learning from it, I'll say. Um, but, you know, I think that there's lots of surprises that the human element is going to reveal. That's what I'm hoping for. So Even if um, things are not necessarily done well, you can still yeah. take inspiration from ideas that you see and think about how this could be better integrated into some other situation. Yeah. So that's that's good. I'm also hoping we'll see some like high quality rooms that yeah. actually like push <laughs> push things forward. Yeah. But I don't really know at this point. And I would also add that it's very very helpful to be um, in the child's mind version of it again, like experiencing it as a customer mm. and as a player rather than like the, doing the picking apart stuff. Like I went home one time for the holidays and I brought my family to an escape room that was in there in Dallas, Texas. And for the first time in a long time, I was shopping on the websites, looking and trying to assess, like, well, what, which one do I want to play and what am I looking for? And, I, you know, it's easy to forget that that is the role on the other side, like mm-hmm. that it begins on the website and the ticketing experience on the onboarding. 
you know, it, the ones I found, for example, that I liked had photographs of the actual rooms, which almost nobody puts on there. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, okay, well, we're definitely putting photos from this point forward. But I never would have really, it wouldn't have occurred to me mm-hmm. um, because the, the common sense is to not reveal anything. After the break, we chat about E-Curve, a small mall on the west side of KL in Pataling Jaya, before diving into our first interlude about a candy-coated escape room. So no. what? The AC. Hey. Oh. Holy shit. All right, listen yes. to this sweet sound. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> but also, let's put this all in the podcast. <laughs> so why don't we talk about the actual escape rooms we played yesterday? So that was day two of playing rooms. Um, I was actually not there, uh, but the rest of you were. Um, can someone say the name of the parlor and where it was and the name of the rooms you played? Um, so we went to Escape Room, which is the same franchise as yesterday. Kind of, because they're they're actually leaving the franchise soon. Um, but either way, right now it's still called Escape Room at E-Curve, which is in Pataling Jaya, near where we're staying. Because it's not in the city centre, like the mall yesterday. It's a lot more of a Malaysian style mall rather than international mall. So it's a lot of um, quiet, quiet shops. Mm-hmm. And it was at the top of this very strangely abandoned looking mall. I believe they're renaming themselves nice Amaze Escape Rooms. Right. So they had, um, starting April 1st, stopped advertising their escape room as Escape Room International. And this is part of when we booked this one, we found references to it under that original name and contact details for it, but no online booking system, no anything else. So we had to call up and they said, hi, we're escape room. No, you can't tell anyone about us. <laughs> it was super weird. This explains why it was so awkward. I remember, Amani, you were trying to figure out what was going on with e-curves, I think, when we were setting everything up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't I was, put it together I, until right. now that that yeah, was why. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So is it like uh, if I'm running like a McDonald's and then I decide to not be part of the franchise anymore and I change the name, but I'm still using the same equipment? Is that like the scenario here? Yeah, the same, <laughs> which is illegal for most like chain the, restaurants. But the legal fees would be a little bit lower, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. But is that what is actually going on with that? Like they split off from the franchise and make it their own, but still use the same equipment? Mutiny. Yeah, it does appear to be that. Yeah. Uh-huh. How that's legal, I don't know. They, they could have bought it off. They may, yeah, may have paid out. Yeah. Can I ask? Uh, it sounds like Stephanie knew the, the list of games, so just real quick, what did you, what did you play? I, I actually wrote them down. <laughs> Good. They're really, really important titles. So <laughs> the, the, the first round that we did, uh, we broke up into groups of two, and we did M&M's Big Escape, M&M's as in the, the chocolate candy, although it turns out that they're not really chocolate, but prehistoric ancient aliens. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second one... The second one was Space Voyager, colon, Mission to the Moon. Mm-hmm. And then so we... Moon. 
<laughs> that yeah. was Patrick who did the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what he did. Mission to the M&M. <laughs> yeah. And then the last one that we did as a group was the creatively titled The Mummy, colon, Tomb of the Ancient Pharaoh. Sorry, so the first one you split into two smaller groups and you all played the second one right. mm-hmm. together. Okay. Here we cut to a brief interlude where Goldie, Stephanie, Shanglun, and Amani go into detail about their unsettling experiences inside the weird world of Eminem's Big Escape. I'm here in the room with just four people, and uh, we are... Stephanie Bolak, Amani Nessie, Li Shanglun, and Goldie Bartlett. And interludes are a time to do deep dives into some of the specificities of the rooms. Uh, we'll take you through the puzzles and what we noticed uh, in a really close reading style way. Um, there will be major spoilers, so if you have any intention to go to Kuala Lumpur and play Eminem, The Big <laughs> Escape, then stop listening now. Or skip ahead 10 minutes. Yeah. You're not supposed to be in the room. I said four people. <gasps> oh, no. That's okay. I lied. Audio Patrick, Patrick is <laughs> staring at us. Uh, yeah, All right. So, um, so this was, um, this escape room was Eminem themed, which is why I guess in keeping with the chocolate experiences we've been having, we were super, super excited to play this game mm-hmm. and and actually had no idea what to expect and so it was kind of like the the first game that I really really wanted to play because mm-hmm. I mean who could go wrong with with M&Ms right so um we we start with the attendant he comes into the or he he ushers us into the room and he starts presenting this narrative um and and he do you, do you want to describe it He's the most unenthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was shuffling feet. There was monotonous, you know. He was really bored. It wasn't. It wasn't contempt. It was <laughs> just guy. He was yeah, really bored. bored. He was. He was definitely over it. Um, and honestly, I can't blame him because then he kind of starts telling this story, which. Um, <laughs> You have to imagine you're in this like Jurassic Park room with these big dinosaur eggs that are right in the center of the table, but they're like dinosaur eggs that are meant to look like um, peanut, peanuts. Peanut, yeah, I guess it's specifically peanut evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an egg-shaped one, right? They're about the size of a um, of a like a real dinosaur egg, like, like a, a long balls, eggs. long balls ball. Anybody. <laughs> On the English Emu-X. side of things. We're inside of um, this museum dedicated to prehistoric times, and they tell us that M&Ms are actually ancient aliens. Right, so they're yeah. not made of chocolate. Mm-hmm. They're ancient aliens, and they're and 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 I guess they're ancient a- aliens that humans are are sort of hunting We're natural to eat them, natural like yeah. trying to capture, Ca- and trying to capture and and contain. Try- yeah. Yeah, so so uh, we're we're kind of the apex predators for these these ancient M M&M and M aliens. Um, um, we're also told that the five M and Ms, the different colors: red, yeah. yellow, blue, green, and orange. Orange, I orange. say brown. Orange green. is the yummiest one, <laughs> but green is the sexiest one. Um, oh and they, <laughs> what? This is the, the, the sexy green M M&M. and M. They made her anyway. Um, and they tell us that these five M and Ms are loose in the world, um, in the, in the museum. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, trying to avoid us. Yeah, and and actually, like with the the sort of narrative onboarding is pretty didactic in that right at the start he says that there's going to be three different rooms that you go through, and he actually names them. Mm. Um, and so that's the room that we're in first, which is kind of this Jurassic Park yeah, room. He calls it prehistoric. He calls it prehistoric, mm. but it's basically it's it's Jurassic yeah. Park. Like let's let's not you know beat around the bush here. Then the next room is ancient Egypt, so it's the mummy. And then the the third is um, Renaissance. the Renaissance room, which um, I mean we'll get to this, but you know it, I think also that one was basically a kind of Da Vinci Code totally. style of room. So it's sort of these three sort of uh, standard film tropes that are mashed together within this. Mm-hmm. Ancient alien um, candy shell. What yeah, really Hollywood film. Enjoy. Like it's yeah, really enjoy. Hollywood, and which is really surprising for me as well. Why is it Hollywood films? From the name, I thought that was going to be a, like an Indiana Jones sequence where we had to run away from the beginning. Right. Oh, great! <laughs> and I was, I was kind of looking forward to that. <laughs> Just a rolling, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a giant yeah. rolling M M&M and boulder. Ooh. So the first puzzle we had to um, look at posters on the wall to do with the dinosaurs and index into um, the direction that the dinosaurs were facing mm-hmm. in order to open this box. And inside the box was apparently just a light switch. And when you turned off the lights, you would also hear uh, an audio track of Welcome to the Museum, and, uh, and then some other words, and over that cries... <laughs> just cries of dinosaurs. <laughs> and on the other side... Specifically the- Jurassic Park dinosaurs. Yeah, sound bites, I think. <laughs> Probably, maybe. And one of them was just Chris Pratt. And then on the other side of the wall, there were uh, four buttons uh, below four dinosaurs, and you could yeah. press them, and a voice would say, this is... And then would terribly mispronounce the name of the dinosaur. Velociraptor. Veloc- <laughs> <laughs> this is Pterodidactyl. The Velociraptor is The Velociraptor? Okay, these now work. And um, you would also hear the cry of the dinosaur. So you had to match up the cries in order to get an order. That's right. And we were trying to work out any rhyme or reason for this for a long time before we called for a hint. I couldn't hear. I couldn't. I... I literally couldn't hear. There was so much distortion. Mm, they were, yeah, it was muddy as. But we. But it turned out that it wasn't our 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 failure to identify right. sound. It was that we had opened up a box and we had you know seen the button, but we didn't bother to kind of peek behind the box because yeah. there was a black light in there. Yeah. yeah, hidden in a deep crevice, like it wasn't obvious. And suddenly yeah. we realized that the black light would reveal right. all the names, the code, and all yeah. all of a sudden there was yeah. some 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 way to figure out the code. The button was yeah. also broken. One yeah. of the buttons did not produce any sound. Tyrannosaurus Rex. The T-Rex. Yeah. And yeah. we like knew that you could solve the puzzle with only three, but we just were kind of thrown off by the fact that we didn't know if this button was... It looks broken, Yeah. not on purpose. So basically we had to re-listen and re-listen and re-listen to the... Welcome to Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Organize the, the, I wanted muddy, to- the muddled up dinosaur cries in the background of that track into their order of, uh, you know, like, which order they're in, and whatever, we got through the door. We were frustrated by that point. I really <laughs> wanted my earplugs. 
No, we didn't get into the next door. What no, was no. So there was another puzzle um, that we actually solved pretty quickly. It was quite nice. Was yeah, nice. yeah. And, and yeah. Um, but the the sort of the culmination of this of 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 this room is that all of a sudden you realize that the, you hear a trap door fall from the ceiling. Yes, go. And all of a sudden a plush M&M toy falls out connected to a chain and is just hanging there. Shanglin's just grabbed the correct eggs, so the code is five, seven, eight, six. We're going to punch it in and hit star. Five, seven, eight, six. Oh my god. Whoa, oh my god. Oh uh, wait, an orange, the orange M&M has just, has just flung himself out of the ceiling. It, 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 looked, it looked like it was hanged. Uh, very terrifying. I don't like this. I don't, I think that was creepy. Yeah, so right in the center of the room, you realize that there's this like hanged M&M who, um, who, who I guess had been trapped or had, had uh, committed suicide or had been killed or something. It's, it's kind of narratively ambiguous. Mm. But it was this, I, I don't know, like, like on the heels of the day before where there was this like kind of casual Nazi iconography, the image of this hanged M&M, at least for kind of me personally, um, ended up actually being more sort of disturbing and, mm. and upsetting and, and uncanny sure. than, than a lot of the, the sort of more um, kind of deliberately like slasher gore mm. imagery mm. that we had also been boxes kind of... of um, boxes of fingers. Yeah, like, yeah. like boxes of dollar store fingers sure. and limbs think, and blood. I think it was bad set design. Like I think my interpretation of it is that they wanted this M&M to look like he was using a rope to escape. Hang, yeah. But it, I turned around and was shocked like at what I've just seen happen. The, the implication was really dark and I feel like um, and again when we get to the end I, I think that the the sort of finale um, kind of reinforces the the weird darkness of this corporate narrative. So um, we get into the next room and it's ancient Egypt and I actually don't think there's too much that that I feel like we should mention in this room <laughs> except for the fact that there was one lock puzzle where you just had to write in the word, or you had to enter in the word Egypt, <laughs> with no no explanation Egypt. of why. You just had to put Egypt in. And I was narrating this this session, so I wasn't really helping out. And I was sort of like talking through all of the puzzles. There's this one flippy puzzle on the wall, and I thought, oh well, we must get the code for this lock from that because how could you guess just guess the code? Yeah. And then you know, fifteen minutes in, I said, oh, we tried Egypt. And there it was. It was just and just and our attendant had, you know, specifically we said, had yeah. wanted him to not actually give us any narrative onboarding, mm. just like immerse us in the world. And I think he insisted. Yeah. And I think that that was why, mm, yeah, uh, because yeah. there was a fear that if he didn't say the word Egypt, then we'd never guess that we would. <laughs> you know? Okay, so we solved some other puzzles. Actually, my favorite elegance puzzles from a public. Purely mechanical yeah. oh, designs was the turning ones, tile one yeah. and the one before with the Jurassic Park's 21st birthday. But anyway, yeah. moving on to the third room, there is a bunch of art on the wall. But most critically, there's a glass pyramid box or a glass cube, sorry. Sort of a, um, pl a plinth style thing <clears throat> that you'd see at a museum with a big perspex cube. 
on top as if it was housing a sculpture. And we receive um, four sticks. So each of us is now holding a stick. And, and there's one hole in every side of the Perspex box, and there's one hole in the top. And there's and four of us. And it's about a... And there's a ball, a ball. inside the box. a pretty big cube. Yeah. There's a ping pong ball. Yeah. So each of us take a stick and we start trying to do like a teamwork thing where we're working together to like, yeah, make a lattice with the four of us. But like, then we got stuck halfway up. Well, also I'm Butterfingers and, and it was kind of like hilarious, but at the same time, there's only like two minutes left. Right. And so we're, so, so eventually our note taker, who who uh, who's Goldie and who'd kind of been hanging back and taking notes just um, eventually kind of seizes the moment and well, I think well, you should. Well, and I so the, I decided to put the recording device down to help because there were you know we needed four, four poles four yeah. people um, and th- that wasn't working so Shanglin and I said yep we'll try together teamwork maybe you know lighter hands <laughs> and no. so I reach in and I grip. I grip both sides of the... It was a ping-pong ball, I think. Okay. We grip both sides of this ping-pong... I grip both sides of this ping-pong ball and start to sort of lift it. And all I had to do was roll the sticks let, you know, back and forth and up and down and around and sort of keep the pressure equal and at the same time slowly push down on the sticks to raise it. But it looked beautiful. Like, I was mesmerized. I mean, it was kind of, it was beauty in motion and grace under pressure because, like, the, the, the timer is literally ticking down to zero and you're just, like, slowly but very, very smoothly lifting it right to the top. And, and then Amani reaches in and grabs it. It was, it was magic. Really. We all became very quiet. I think no one breathed. It was the first, like, non-logic, but just, like, here's a physical, technical mm. thing, and and you just had the kind of surgeon hands, or maybe mm. the, the artist hands, uh, to do mm. that really, really it effectively. It was an incredibly satisfying moment. Not yeah. only because I felt very celebrated, but also it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a fun physical challenge. So we so we do that, and then this reveals like a a very obvious kind of puzzle involving a set of mirrors. But um, we're basically out of time, mm-hmm. and so we're kind of like scrambling around. And then we hear the timer go down; it's at zero, and our attendant Shuffles kind of walks in, in from like into like the first Shuffles room, in. and it kind of says like I think he says or he wasn't he wasn't it's speaking done, very yeah. loud. Yeah, like all right, <laughs> time's, time's up. up. But he doesn't come in. He doesn't like come to see no us or say how just, how you doing. Yeah. So we're just like, oh, we're just gonna keep going. And so we actually used that extra couple minutes because he didn't really, he wasn't. He didn't kick us out. We just (laughs) had to angle a mirror. Yeah, yeah. So we we finish the puzzle and we get to the end and then a soundbite plays that kind of recalls the soundbites from the Jurassic Park room and it's of screaming Eminem saying, don't eat me. Yeah. And so it's like, here you are, the premise of this, this like, of this escape room is you're kind of like a detective hero on the hunt for these, yeah. these, these M&Ms. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the braid ending where like the monster is you and, <laughs> and you just end coming out of that, like feel, and you feel terrible. Cause again, like we are the apex predators yeah, just, that are like wow. seeking out and hunting these, innocent. these innocent aliens. ancient aliens. We're delicious. Yes. Now let's return to the entire team to talk about the rest of their time at E-Curve and One Utama.
any immediate because I, I want to get to the second half of the day which is arguably more iconic uh, <laughs> but from this the two escape rooms uh, well I guess three in total that were played uh, mm-hmm. by all you any anything that stands out could be positive negative in between so the mummy room I had actually played in Melbourne because this was an international franchise they carried the same room um, and it's, it's exactly the same. It was well. This was what was interesting. The puzzles that we did in this mummy room were only half of the puzzles that were present in the Melbourne Australian version. The actual mummy prop, including the desiccated body inside and the um, sarcophagus, was identical. So it makes me wonder: like, is there an Alibaba or eBay seller producing this sarcophagus <laughs> sarcophagi from yeah. yeah. escape rooms everywhere, or was it custom made and then sent over? They had actual rocks in this version yeah. and sand on the floor, which I wow. found. And, like, cracked concrete. The floor treatment at this place, I don't know about M&M, but the space one had grated steel across the whole floor, and mm-hmm. uh, this one had sand across the, its whole floor. And it A lot of people on. need mummies, you know? Like, they're... <laughs> 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 it's not just escape room. I need a mummy at home. Yeah. <laughs> mummy I would love to have a mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I challenge you to name three uses for a sarcophagus. <laughs> Sleeping. <laughs> okay. Uh, there are lots of like, cheap uh, amusement parks, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, every, put one in every village. We, we, have some, <laughs> we have lots of plastic trees in Maldives. Like, you know, dictators use it to keep people happy. <laughs> so, I think it was interesting how this was the same game uh, in principle and in puzzle, and yet the material was completely different. They had to source different props because there's different skeletons available in Melbourne compared to Malaysia, mm. um, and different affordances of the space physically. Um, but fun- functionally, to all my senses, it was exactly the same disappointing experience, except half as long, so that was good. <laughs> I think Shung Lun was actually note taking in that, and I don't think doing a particularly good job. It was having <laughs> such a bad time. It was just like silent, standing with your note taker. One of the funniest things about this room is that there's sexual sand in it, and like fake rocks everywhere, and skeletons. They're real. The rocks are fucking real. Like they're they're super heavy. There's also a sarcophagus in this room. It's padlocked conveniently. The ancient Egyptians actually invented padlocks. I think a, a lot of us actually went away from uh, these particular escape rooms feeling pretty underwhelmed. Um, and I was trying to sort of figure out why that was. And, and I don't know if this is necessarily the entire reason, but one of the things that I noticed that happened in every escape room that we played was that the sort of um, obstacles or the challenges that we ended up encountering weren't a product of like our failure to pattern recognize or like not get like not not interpret the puzzle correctly but it was actually like something about the materiality mm-hmm. speaking of like like rocks and stuff of the escape room itself like when we were all sort of clustered over those pieces of acetate paper mm-hmm. that we had to layer one on top of another but they were so scratched, scratched that up, even yeah. with a light shining we could barely yeah. sort of make it out and like is that just you know um, or is that motivated game design, or is that just they've been used so much that they're it's really, really they were used small laziness. In the M and M um, room Legit. as well, were you in there, Steph? Yeah, I was in that. Yeah, one. so like there were four sound bites which we needed to hear, and only three of them worked. And we thought for a while, like, oh, maybe yeah. we have to unlock it. No, it was mechanical fault. And then there was the lock. <laughs> then there was the lock, uh, which was pure pure Goldie fault. Um, yeah, but you know we've played escape rooms in San Francisco before, and I do remember saying, 
don't let me anywhere <laughs> near a padlock because I can't work them. No, but this is not your fault, right? No. It's, it's like yeah. when you open the door the wrong way initially and you go, oh, this is a pull or a pull door. It's not your fault. It's okay. the design of the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ours yeah. had a bunch of props that um, were just straight up broken and they didn't tell us. I think in the Mission to the Mars one, like there were a number of puzzles that had been removed, which they would then call environmental details, even yeah. though they clearly were interactive, they just didn't do anything. So we spent a ton of time looking at it. One of these included like a, a hexagonal array of buttons that some of the buttons were broken, but it was really just being used for a display of some numbers. So it wasn't meant to be pushed. Another one were some XLR like audio cables going through a wall. Uh, that you could plug in and out, and they were color-coded, and the lights matched the coloring, but they were just a prop. They were just oh, set decoration. Well, they said, after we said, why isn't this working? Yeah. Oh, it's just for environmental reasons. But it was I'm, clearly an actual puzzle. Yeah. Pretty sure we actually solved that broken puzzle, though. Yeah, I'm, I probably. <laughs> so you, think you were just, like, solving the studio. We were just solving design? props. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I ask, um, can we compare and contrast, because... For day one, we talked about the kind of like vestigial puzzles or the exoskeleton of old puzzles, the broken. Is there, did it feel the kind of same echoes or was there a difference in that kind of the echoiness of former glory or old puzzles between the two parlors? I think it was more intense in this case as somebody who is in both days um, because the mechanics of the puzzle still remained. Whereas in the previous uh, day, there was detritus from old puzzles, but they were recognizably detritus. Is one of those more or less inspiring or interesting, either as designers or... This one was analysts? much more worn. It was more worn down. Okay. What do you mean? Yeah. I, I think uh, the ones that we did last, mm-hmm. it felt like, you know, this stuff was more, more worn down. Like touched guess, more? Yeah, So like more. Uh, flecks of paint were off or like the corners were more rounded, yeah, like yeah. everything was aged. Yeah, just wallpaper was down. also literally tugged off walls. This isn't quite the same thing, but uh, this was also the first moment where um, I saw um, the same type of puzzle that we had seen from day one, which was this anamorphic image. We have to like look at it from the right angle to see the number, and it was like the exact same technique. And so, um, you know, it's day two, and already like we're seeing this recycling. So I'm kind of incredibly curious to see we, like what more repetitions we are, actually are we had gonna... that as well yeah yeah it was even though it's two separate yeah. rooms in the same franchise so that means three three of the different rooms have the same exactly the same puzzle in it and this isn't um a puzzle but those like all the the dollar store limbs that that were part of the the many horror games that we ended up playing on day Bo- one i was seeing fingers. the exact same yeah like the boxes of fingers and the bloody hands and the bloody feet like it's it was bought from the same, you know, it was bought from the same Alibaba retailer. <laughs> so there was that repetition also in the mise-en-scene. I think, like, I'm, I'm sitting here and, you know, my mind is going, oh, yeah, this is such boring, blah, blah, blah. And I think, imagine if I went in there, if I, I'm, I'm not a mother, but if I had a seven-year-old kid or a ten-year-old kid and we'd been trying to do this quite compl- sort of, like, quite complicated thing mm. where there are going to be puzzles where they can't do it. There might be some kind of sense of relief for a parent opening a box and seeing something as basic as that and saying to their seven-year-old, hey, Toby, can you work this out? And knowing that they maybe could with a bit of gentle guidance. So, you know, I think, like, whilst my mind initially was, like, critique this strongly, (laughs) this is rubbish, there are other angles. It was a lot of families who were there. There were two Mm -hmm. kids who had gone gone in by themselves. 
I don't think there would have been more than 10 or 11. Mm. So, I mean, you know, maybe if you're running these rooms, you could gauge who's coming in, who's made the booking, and just swap out that for something else. Well, the, a bit harder. the other caveat I wanted to make is that, uh, we, yeah, the, the point of the trip is also not to just, like, bash on escape rooms. In yeah. fact, we think we, think we are have saved some of the, the best for some of the future days. And then also tomorrow we'll contextualize this in terms of, uh, quote-unquote, bad escape room experiences globally. in Australia and the States and, and globally. So that, that's, that's coming as well. But. but it's not that these are simply bad, right? It's interesting that the puzzles are reused because it gives a character for how these businesses are run. Like, it gives us an index of what's actually going on in these spaces from a game design perspective. This is actually a common thing that's going to happen across the industry more and more as they become popular. Is that like originally there were many like puzzle heavy, difficult rooms, but the vast majority of people who are playing these, if they are families, are not experienced in that kind of thing. Mm. And so the difficulty will reduce in the vast majority of these things. Yeah. And the, the more difficult ones will become like very rare, but those yeah. are the ones that the people who are expert players are going to want to go to. Yeah. I'd love to um, do a little like history of escape rooms and where we think we are at in that timeline. Um, yes. Because I think the calcification of the form is really important, thinking about industrially, but also thinking about how people approach it culturally. Like, are you speedrunning it? In order to speedrun it, you have to have a mastery. Mm-hmm. In order to have the ability to have mastery, you need some sort of repetition. And what happens yeah. in the next yeah. few years when we see more theatre influence and more immersive narrative right. yeah. influence? Oh, I was just going to add that there's so much more to talk about with this, but we're really on a precipice where th- things are about to fork into s- things that yeah. are massive scale, like yeah. a huge, huge um, amount of square footage dedicated to them versus things that are like really far advanced technologically, like theme park level of tech going into them. So like there's there really is a lot to say, but it's it's a good time to be in the industry. Mm. Um, can I use that, but then pivot from that. So thinking about maybe darker features of the escape room leads us to the afternoon of yesterday, uh, day two. And then maybe this is a good uh, kind of way to close the podcast. This, this seems like what may be arguably the most salient moment you had yesterday. So can someone recount what... So, to, to set the scene, you were going to a different escape room. Pilot. We had a booking for it. Yeah. Yes. Well, and so Jay and I got there before everybody else, and all we could see was an empty corridor with the sign above it for the space, right? And so we were very concerned, you know, maybe we're in the wrong location, maybe they had moved, or if we were on the wrong floor. So we're exploring around and comparing it to all of the photos on Yelp of the exterior, and it's like, well, no, this is definitely it. And on the door, there was, you know, sort of further back, there was um, a lock from one of the rooms, clearly. It was, it was like a five-dial number lock. And we're like, this is definitely the puzzle room. <laughs> Try <Yeah>. Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then we discovered. This is like the next level for me. Like, this is yeah. actually what I'm interested in, is like, now it's not a prop in an escape room. Yeah. Like, using a, a, an old maze as a table. Now it's, it's just a tool, like, in life yeah. that you're using. <laughs> a lock. And so, like, Shung Lin immediately started picking that lock. Uh, Laura was, like, looking at, oh, maybe we just, like, unscrew yeah, the, we gonna... the, like, hinge and we could, like, go into this place. Well, because uh, we could see through the crack in the door that it was actually the room, the escape mm-hmm. room place. But With then... all the lights still on. And, and a giant avatar. 
Avatar figure. So this is the other heartbreaking thing. This, is, this yeah. is a huge, yeah. this is a huge shopping mall and a really fancy home in the middle. Yeah, can, can someone, right. oh, can yeah. someone say what the name of the, just, just um, for a historical record? Yeah, break, so they, break the Code? Break the Code Plus is the name of the yeah. escape room in Wanutama Mall. Wanutama Mall is one of the largest malls around the area. Mm. And uh, bef- before we get into some of the details, can we... Contextualize. We found out that it closed. So, <laughs> so we I, booked on, it online. We booked it online. We had no, you know, it was fine. There was no problems with it. And there is an empty corridor with the door that, that is locked, and we're all freaking out. Going home, I look it up, and on their Facebook page, they had just announced with no fanfare, no particular, you know, this is a massive post just on Wednesday. Oh, uh, we'll be closing in two days' time. <laughs> and we booked it online only a week ago. It's not like this is a months-old booking. That That's we right, yeah. So this, was... so this is it just speaks to the scale of the sort of rise and fall of these places. We, they were open on the 30th. I want to say to any owners, builders, runners, enjoyers, people who work for that company who might be listening to this, uh, we're sorry that you had to bow out. We were really looking forward to playing the Harry Potter escape room, escape room especially. <laughs> yeah, so the... the I think it's just renovations. I think it's just renovations. Hopefully it's just renovations. It says closed down it forever. Closed. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is not the only one. We had bo- looked for other escape rooms, and there was one that closed at the start of June or, by, or like, mm-hmm. a week into it. So yeah, we missed yeah, that by three yeah. weeks. Right, so, so we might yeah. be on this, like... It's not clear, but from our anecdotal experiences, are we on this kind of big downturn... Well, that's that's what's interesting because at eCurve, the previous rooms, they were booked out the entire afternoon. Yeah. Right? So they're obviously doing pretty well on a Monday as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because financial kind of, uh, the sort of bubble popping is also this moment of expansion for the sort of experimental and artistic. It's it's a moment of opportunity at the same time for more experimental types of things to now take place. That it's not... It's not it's solely this this sort of financial cash grab, I guess. So, yeah, while we were standing in that hallway, um, multiple groups dropped by <laughs> yeah. and had the same experience we did of staring at it and being like, what is happening? Sad because children. They, they, yeah, a group of eight children. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so maybe a bit of background about this particular room. The menu for it, I was actually really looking forward to considering like Dutch Lady and M&M's because yeah. it's all like Hollywood and mm. uh, video game properties. So there was like an Avatar one, a Harry Potter one, an Indiana Jones one, a, uh, I think a Tomb Raider one. I wonder um, why they shut down. Intellectual. really expensive in that mall. We should write an album. Yeah. I mean, and the other we thing about that hallway, this is like a minor detail, but what was so surreal about it is that um, the architecture was the same geometry, but the color is different from the photos. And But the wall was peeling the paint. So it's this question of like, how is it old but different from its most recent photos. And we found some like black uh, veneer that had been oh. peeled off the wall. Uh, so it wasn't black paint. So there's all these things. I mean, mm. maybe it was the escape room, right? The, the, <laughs> yeah. the second room was the glass door. The third room was right. the one with the giant full-size <laughs> avatar uh, character. Yeah. Or the escape room was inside us. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, that a, is that a good note to end the discussion with? Time to go play some more. Time to go. Yeah. Yeah. Day, day, day three. Every game in this city is a podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. 
we recorded season one in a hot bedroom in Pataling Jaya during the summer of 2018. Our theme music is a cover of Seiko 4 by Yasuwaki Shimizu, a piece he originally composed for a wristwatch commercial in the 1980s. You can find us on the web at everygameinthis.city, as well as most social media networks and podcasting platforms. In two weeks, our next episode will be moderated by Laura E. Hall, who will introduce our final member and lead the discussion on two physically challenging escape room franchises.